everyone. It's just a different sort of episode this week. Or not even this week. Midweek right now. Uh, I am Trevor Payne. I am the GM for Roll for Intent. If you don't know us, we're going to be posting this a couple other places that aren't our main podcast feed. Uh, If you do know us, this is a little bit different from what you normally see in your weekly feed. I've got Christian Cheney with me today. Uh, You'll know him if you listen to our show as our rules lawyer. And also, he is the content creator behind Beast Foundry. How are you doing today, Christian? I am doing wonderful, Trevor. How was the the fun and exciting high roller life at Gen Con? So very fun and exciting. Got to to do a lot of fun people watching on top of just really having a good time trying to soak it in. First time to a big con like that. Didn't know what to expect, but really excited for next year because we're going to plan it a heck of a lot better. Oh, and I will absolutely be there for next year. That is not an option. We're going to get hammered at the Inferno Room. It'll be great. Anyway, today we're doing something, like I said, a little bit differently. This is going to be the first time that Roll for Intent is going to be reviewing or previewing a piece of upcoming Paizo material. We got our hands on a copy of the Lost Omens Travel Guide. Uh, A lot of people are really excited about this book. It's very, very heavy for in Galarian roleplay information and setting information. Really, really cool. Everything from cuisine to fashion to folklore and events, trade routes, pretty much anything you can imagine uh, about Galarian that you were always too afraid to ask or too afraid to make your own table for. And this book is going to tickle some of those itches or scratch some of those itches. Uh, for those of you that really want some more flavor that we haven't gotten a huge amount of since uh, TUI launched. Yeah, we've got the world guide and they, they drip and drab bits of things in as they bring in more rule books. But this is just pure distilled world building information. And it's so very cool. Yeah, I wanted to uh, touch on that, too, for, you know, I know there's many people out there like myself that have their own homebrew worlds and don't really even play around in Galarian. It's pretty mysterious to them. And looking through this book, I mean, I know we're only covering one small chapter, but there was so much in this book that not only gave me ideas for my own world, but just really helped expand things that that come up during gameplay. You know, I, I don't want to steal anyone's thunder, but you know, if you've ever maybe wondered what it costs to actually buy a home, you're going to find that in this book. So there's a lot of things in there that haven't been covered anywhere else before. And if you're using Pathfinder 2E as your vehicle for your tabletop role playing games, the the economy Galarian uses that same economy. So a lot of this information is going to be really cool and useful to you even if you don't use Galarian. So I just wanted to throw that out there that even, even if the setting's not for you, this is still a book that you may really want to look at. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that. The, you know, Even if the setting is not for you, that's one of the reasons that we chose the chapter that we chose. And that chapter is the crime and law chapter. Because while it does do a lot of nifty things for the lore of Galarian and even introduces a new faction kind of offhand, that I'll get to in just a moment. Uh, there is a lot of hard mechanical or even just guidelines for how to deal with a, 
multiple different types of offenses, the type of guard organizations you have, and it can give you stuff that's not Galarian-specific that you can use uh, to spice up the roleplay in your normal game because the rogue decided to, you know, steal something and whiff his check. There are mechanics for that now, and it's not just GM fiat, oh yeah, well, uh, they catch you and you pay a fine. There is real guidelines, and it's so cool, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just looking through even there's a there's a whole table about crime and punishment. And when you look at it, one of the one of the listed things, it says enchantment minor and then it gives parentheses charm. So if you cast charm person on someone and you're found guilty of doing something nefarious with that, the penalties. Where is that? The penalties 10 lashes and or a fine equal to 10 percent of the character's wealth. That's just a really fun concept. You know, all the time people in their games are, I'm going to charm this person at the bar. And that's it. End of story. There's no repercussion ever thought. And, you know, maybe they go a little too far. And later that person realizes, what the hell? What did they do to me? And now they go to the constable or city watch or what have you. And, you know, a couple of days later, someone shows up to your character, or your player's character and says, uh, you need to come with us. <laughs> That's just a really fun thing to do. Oh, absolutely. Um, And if you're somebody like me that I know a lot of people are into it, but I kind of actively discourage uh, what is pejoratively uh, referred to as murder hoboing at my table. It's a really good way to allow those people to do what they want to do with their character, but then for there to be real consequences that don't feel like the GM is just trying to be punitive because they didn't like what they did. There's actual reasons for things. It's not just like, well, you, you know, you subverted my story, so I'm punishing you. No, there's actual guidelines now. And, and I think that's kind of nice because it, if you establish with your players up front that the world has consequences, right, they're less likely to do things or, or get upset when those consequences come to bear. Yeah, just having that be a, a cold, hard fact of the world. You know, your players don't get mad when this is part of the rule set of a monster when it does something. So likewise, when this is a part of the rule set of the world that you've broken this, so this is the response to it, it, it's kind of out of your hands. It doesn't seem like it's any spiteful thing by the DM. So let's get into the actual text of this. Uh, What's really fun about all these chapters is something that they've been doing, I think, more or less since Secrets of Magic came out, is that a lot of these flavor portions of the text are written from the perspective of a character in the world that is well-versed in the topic at hand. This specific section is written by someone I can only describe as the Saul Goodman of Galarian. (laughs) Sounds pretty accurate. Oh, absolutely. Her name is uh, Carmine Nix. And uh, she has fun little taglines throughout, like her name is pronounced innocent in seven jurisdictions. And that sort of, you know, not the spirit of the law, but the letter of the law is is absolutely smattered throughout this entire section. And it really adds a lot of extra flavor and fun to something that could be considered a super dry topic. Oh, absolutely. And you just... The very first section, when it goes into enforcement, they they go to a pretty decent detail of explaining, like, you know, if you're out in the countryside, you're just going to probably be dealing with a sheriff or whatever the local government is calling it, whether it's a constable or a bailiff or what have you. And 
you know, it really goes into detail saying that they're they're the law of the land, but also, you know, they have to be careful. They give reasons of why these people just don't become incredibly corrupt because they are out in the middle of the nowhere. And that that has a tendency to make people not happy if they're always overstepping their bounds and they usually report to a lord or something like that. So it's a really good look behind the curtain as how they are depicting these things work in in a fantasy setting as opposed to what I think people often make the mistake of saying a medieval setting where fantasy's really kind of more this very renaissance era but not quite renaissance technology because of the influx of magic so uh, to me it's always been a gray area for people where they how they think of fantasy is medieval when i always feel it's it's a little beyond medieval oh yeah definitely just adding plate armor makes it a little bit beyond beyond medieval to be completely honest but uh on top of that fantasy settings are also a product of the time at which they're written, which definitely comes out in the types of punishments that get meted out, like, you know, charming somebody at the bar, right? That is totally a, a consent thing, right? And it really dovetails into the sensibilities of today. I'm not making a value judgment about that, but using that as a specific example uh, really shows that fantasy is not medieval because, you know, medieval probably wouldn't have dealt with consent in that same way, right? It's a, uh, it's a very interesting mix. If this book had been written in the 80s, that wouldn't have even probably been registered as any kind of law. Right. And I, I think that's really neat. And it's something important to know when we're talking about these systems. They are not medieval. They are fantasy. And they're a product of the time in which they're written. Uh, and I don't think that you would have had something written even in this flavor of the not-so-honest lawyer, uh, for lack of a better term. If this wasn't written in, you know, 2021, 2022, it's very much a product of the perception of a criminal lawyer in, you know, in this decade, right? Oh, absolutely. And I just, I, I love how they even kind of touch on, there. there's a sentence in here that even talks about unleashing a pit fiend on someone because of, you know, their clearly very powerful and doing whatever they want and governments respond to that. So it's, it was interesting to see that. I've actually done that in a game uh, on the, the same sort of thing, because it talks about um, Queen Abigail of uh, Irison and she would release a pit fiend. And that's essentially what I did in another game is there was somebody that was on the run from Irison and uh, I released uh, a devil after them, or a demon, sorry, not a devil, a demon after them. And it was really, really neat. But, you know, I, I really liked what you mentioned about talking to the sort of uh, restrictions that a sheriff or a bailiff or some hinterlands enforcement officer would have. Because for those of you that are worried that this is just a carte blanche uh, blank check for a GM to start doing some authoritarian power tripping, they very clearly lay out that you cannot do that because of the societies in which you're operating, whether it's out in the hinterlands, since you're a part of the community, you'll become ostracized. Somebody will round up a posse on you. And if you are in a city, there is a bureaucracy that's supposed to prevent that sort of thing happening. It's, it's very, very interesting how they're making sure to show the limits of a GM's power to enforce these certain laws up to a certain level. And that's for things like petty larceny or, you know, even up to something like murder, right? You know, what we would consider a mundane crime 
And then they get completely off the rails when they start talking about what they do to people that are more magically powerful, whether it's the aforementioned pit fiend or it's just like getting a hold of uh, the, the, the Magambaya wizard school and then sending in a grand wizard or whatever. That's probably not the right term. And sending in some sort of uh, powerful mage to deal with you. Uh, it's, it's really, really cool how they, they talk about the various levels of crime and the, the type of enforcement. And this is where they introduce, as far as I know, a new faction. Maybe it's part of Pathfinder Society, and I have not played through that scenario yet. But something called the Society of the Scales, which are at about the same jurisdictional level of Hell Knights, but a little less, you know, stomp you out for spitting gum on the ground type deal, that are essentially described as Galarian's version of Interpol. It's really interesting. I don't know a ton about the Galarian side, but just their description of them, how they're usually like an individual agent that goes in and works with local authority. So I'm guessing someone that has a, certainly a, a much higher power level to them that can go and investigate this stuff and then make the determination of can the local boys handle this with my help or do I need to go find outside resources capable of dealing with this? They also talk about ways that smaller jurisdictions can handle things like this without getting larger groups involved. Like, say there's a mage and they're causing issues or something. They literally grab every single constable and send them at them and dogpile them so that they can't cast spells. It's really neat. And while they don't provide mechanics for that, that's something that's really easy for a GM to put together in their system. You know, that somebody decides that they're going to you know, start casting illusions and, and doing a whole bunch of nefarious or at least mischievous things in the town square. And the city gets wind of it. And they just, you know, dogpile them. And they deal with them. And that kind of brings us to, you know, punishment. Once that enforcement has actually happened, uh, how do we meet out punishment? What does that punishment look like? Uh, and there is things that talk about how trials are are handled, um, whether it's more of a uh, almost like an inquisitional type trial where you have multiple judges that meet out the, the, the judgment, or it's something that would be more familiar to us where it's a jury of your peers, what they call the Kellid system, as opposed to the Taldanian system, which uses the inqu uh, inquisitorial model. And I've done that in our games, um, the similar game where, you know, a pit fiend was sent to deal with somebody. We had an entire two session trial drama and it was really fun. And this gives frameworks for tables that want to go down that, that journey and, you know, pretend that they're Matlock for an hour and a half or, or so in a session and gives you some guidelines for what a, what a trial ends up looking like. And it's really neat to, once again, this is a product of today. A medieval system had nothing even resembling a jury of your peers in most cases. It was simply, you know, a tribunal and it's it. This gives you, you know, depending on where you are in the world, you can say, okay, well, it's inquisitor and uh, inquisitional, or it's uh, jury based, uh, and then you can use that and you know build your own tables and and work out how you want to handle that trial. Uh, but it at least gives you some guidelines for starting it. Oh, and it, it's also full of just great stuff to help some players with their characters, just knowing how the world views some of these things, you know, uh, you know, for our, our fan base over in the role for intent side of things and the, the podcast and the discord, you know, Corvus created a familiar that was an undead hand 
And now we see that creating undead is punishable by 50 lashes, three to 10 years of hard labor and or a fine equal to 40 percent of the character's wealth. This is a, a cold, hard fact that now, you know, Solus would have to deal with as a lawful good champion. This this isn't something that can just be swept away. We're going to ignore it. And also the fact that the character doing it would now know that this is some kind of, you know, cold, hard fact. It really adds a level of depth to your game and any game. If you're going to adopt these laws, which I, I definitely think people should, it's just a fun thing to do. It makes your world so much more immersive and fun for your players to have all of these things spelled out in here. I mean, this list goes, you know, starts off with murder and arson and goes to the bottom ending with pickpocketing and trespassing. So, I mean, it has a, a huge array of crimes that you can look at and think, oh, wow, my players have probably done at least a quarter of the things on this list. Man, worship of banned gods is a big one, too. Like, if you are an evil character and you're worshiping Lamash, too, and you're hanging out and, you know, Varesia somewhere where it's frowned upon, maybe Sandpoint or something. Lamashtu's probably a banned god, right? You just being a cleric of Lamashtu really makes it important that you take those feats uh, that allow you to hide who you're worshiping or pretend to be worshiping somebody else. It actually gives some depth to a lot of those things that people just play off as like, oh, that's just roleplay nonsense. Where now there's mechanical ramifications to you making roleplay decisions. And as somebody that really enjoys roleplay in my games and the roleplay to actually have an influence on mechanics, that is huge for me. And I absolutely love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, you know, looking at some of the things on this list of blackmail and burglary and extortion. I mean, you know, just stuff that characters kind of get involved in with people like I'm going to make an intimidate check. You know, just very simple statements that at the end of the day, if people NPCs are going to they roll badly and that NPC's like, no, I'm going to get this guy. And he goes and starts creating trouble. It, it it adds that very, very fun extra layer to your game that just brings it alive. So this is it definitely also has ramifications for already written adventures, too. So like, I don't want to spoiler too much, but fall of Plaguestone, right? It starts with um, somebody murdering someone, but then it goes on to we find out that somebody is stealing goods and extorting people, right? So there's additional layers of that. I mean, if you don't know that this person murdered somebody and you kill somebody for extortion, you know, there could be additional punishment that you want to layer in as a GM to add additional depth to that session. And how many games have we started or have you played in where it starts with it's all the local lord is trying to make a little bit extra money on the side and accidentally awaken something in the process of doing that, right? Uh, I know that's a really common plot hook to take a small adventure into a bigger realm. There's now actual consequences for that lord that don't involve this hand wavy, oh, we're taking him to insert next big city for trial. There's real things you can do now that have a mechanical basis within the system. And that is so neat to add an additional layer and give more fodder for a GM to create more plot threads to spin out and make the world feel more alive. Oh, absolutely. And this honest, even to me, my first thought was lawful evil villains are going to be so much more fun as they can kind of sit there and point out to the party of do-gooders that 
inevitably are going to be breaking some of these own laws to be like, are you sure you want to do that? Because go ahead. This is what's going to happen to you if this is the avenue you take trying to bring me down. As somebody who prefers to play lawful evil characters, I am so down for that. Yeah, no, this is the, the whole book is is so much fun. And even even this small section was such a, a joy to look over. And there are wanted posters. There's a page of wanted posters. Maybe if you want to have players go after these people there, there's a page of bounty posters. And, you know, some of the stuff on here is just so fun about, you know, one of these ones is, let's see, he had someone's blood explode from their body turning into a blood elemental and then killing his guards. Like that's who you're, that's what the person did that the bounty is for. It's like, Oh, this sounds like a fun person to go after. Yeah. And this is kind of cool too. So this isn't just crime and punishment. There's some stuff about organized crime in here too. Like later down, there are two segments that look at what a local guard headquarters would look like versus a criminal enterprise uh, headquarters would look like and the type of features that would be involved. I don't want to get too much into that, but if you have played in games, and I know I've struggled with it, trying to describe what the guard shack, or not guard shack, the, uh, the guards quarters look like, this is a really cool way to, like, this is a very simple guard post, and this is what it looks like in the guard post, and this is the layout, and this is what's in the basement, and this is what's upstairs. And going back to those wanted posters, it's not just wanted posters, there's bounty posters as well that represent things uh, that a criminal enterprise would be going for. There's a really interesting dovetailing between one of these wanted posters is for a thief of some sort that's known, want, wanted for stealing the, some sapphire and a really cool um, piece of art. And then in the bounty section, presumably there's a bounty against the detective that thwarted those efforts with a corresponding bounty. Uh, and all of these bounties are, you know, kill them get rid of them. And all of the wanted posters are information leading to their capture or capturing, no killing, things like that. Uh, very, very interesting sort of way that you can build these sort of things based on the type of game you're running if your characters are engaged in the criminal underground or if they're a bunch of lawful good golden retrievers that are working for the city guard. There's something for everyone in here, and I really like it. Yeah, it's it's going to have a, a really big effect, I think, on a lot of games, because people have been asking for some of the information in this book since Pathfinder 2 came out. And that's always an issue when a new system comes out, because it's on the heels of people having, you know, almost a decade of information. And now that information is gone. And they're like, we want that information. So it takes years for that stuff to start rolling out. And I think a lot of world information is is going to come out in this book that I know people have been asking for. So I think it'll be a, a really good read. Absolutely. So go ahead, go pick up a copy of this support, uh, either pies or support your local game store. They really need it. Uh, and, and read all about this stuff. It's a, it's a really good time. It's a really good read. Uh, the art as always is phenomenal. The content is phenomenal. I don't want to get into anything else and step on other content creators, but it is so cool. By the time that you hear this, it should be getting into the hands of subscribers. And I think it releases on August 31st, something like that. It, it releases late in this month, maybe the 27th. Uh, but it is super cool. You should get a copy. Uh, it's really fun. And keep supporting Paizo so they can support these writers and these artists and keep giving us fun content for the, the time going forward. Uh, 
And finally, I just want to uh, thank you for listening. Um, if you've never listened to our show before, uh, once again, we're with Roll for Intent. We're running through an Abomination Vaults playthrough. Uh, we release every Monday. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You can come on by the Discord and let us know if you enjoy this kind of content. We'll keep doing it. This was our first time, and I just wanted to see how it went. I had a good time doing it. Uh, but come on by our Discord. It's rollforintent.com slash Discord. And if you want to hear more from Christian, he is in our Discord. He is in our games. But you can also check out beastfoundry.com where you can see all the fun stuff that he's making and check out his Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash beastfoundry. And also for people, uh, just in case you're looking for some more Pathfinder 2 games, we are running stuff through our Discord often. We are currently involved in doing Kineticist playtests. We have a lot of chatter going on about that. And I know we've gotten a lot of people joined recently that are super excited about the, the new class announcement. So we are always staying current with things and we've got a lot going on. So, yeah, we really encourage you guys to swing by and check us out. Oh, yeah. The day this is releasing, we're doing a level 17 playtest game for Kineticist. And if it is Monday the 15th and it's not yet, what is it? Uh, what time is that? 6 p.m. What, what, Pacific what time Standard are we doing time. 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time? You can come on by our Discord and watch it. It will be broadcast live within our Discord if you wanted to check it out. We're going to have a fun time getting absolutely murdered by Christian. Indeed. Hope to see all of you there. All right, everyone. Have a great day and uh, keep playing. Roll for Intent uses trademarks and our copyrights owned by Paizo Inc. Used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. Roll for Intent is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo. For more information about Paizo Inc. and Paizo products, visit paizo.com. Original characters and storylines are the property of Roman Neville Productions. Music for this podcast was provided by Michael Gelfi. Flip Melvin and Tabletop Audio. Visit our website at rollforintent.com. Any questions or suggestions, email us at mailroom at rollforintent.com. Thank you for listening.